Well, I would say it's like Groundhog Day, but it keeps getting worse. Like, it, it starts off very similar, but then the nightmare just keeps getting worse. <laughs> the Sharks lose to, today 8-3 to three against the Washington Capitals. We'll be talking about that and some more after this. But first, if you want to be a part of the show and teal together with us, come and join the conversation. Check us out in the YouTube chat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Discord, TikTok shenanigans, all that and more at tealtownusa.com. And of course, if you want to support the pod, hit us up at tealtownusa on Venmo or in the Super Chat. We appreciate all of the patronage. It goes to a better show. So we'll continue to keep on doing it. But I am here joined by Mr. Mark Eisenberg. Mark, I would ask you how you're doing this evening because you're on the East Coast. But I mean, after that, I mean, <laughs> what more can I say? How are you doing? Oh, sir? my God. Um, I'm great. <laughs> I I literally want to start this show off like if I could. I don't know if you remember that scene um, with the Joker in the Dark Knight where he goes into the hospital and he sees like Two-Face Harvey and he's just like, hi. Like that's literally the response I want to do to start. So I'm just like, my God, <laughs> it's it's just painful. It's so painful. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, like, look, we're both on Team Tank for sure, especially with the types of talent that you can get in this draft. But, I mean, there is a certain level of, uh, of play, competitive play that you expect out of the team. And, um, you know, just, just as I thought I couldn't be any more disappointed, they go and uh, do one of these on me. So, you know, again, we were talking a little bit earlier. I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, all you want is some sort of entertainment. The first period started. It, there's some entertainment. But it's just like, at this point, it's like laughing out loud at how bad it is entertainment. That's the only way you could do it. Because like, if you're not doing that, you're probably wanting to cry. Yeah. And uh, great segue, by the way, in that first period, Tomas Hurdle getting the Sharks on the board first. And I mean, throughout the first period, I thought the Sharks played really well. I mean, they had a majority of the shots. It was 20 to five, in fact, um, but they looked crisp. They looked good through the neutral zone. I felt that they had a strong forecheck against uh, Washington. And I thought Eki came out with with a fire under his butt, making plays, um, looking good on the power play. But Tomas Hurdle would get his 16th of the year with Carlson and Eklund getting the assist. Um, again, I, I really liked Eki's game. I thought he played very well on that power play. I felt, you know, he added a layer of creative dimension um, that's not Eric Carlson. So <laughs> I think that that, for me, was a was an encouraging sign. But what did you see from Eki's debut, Mark? I agree. Uh, good puck movement. I liked that they immediately threw him on the first unit. Um he whiffed a couple shots on the power play, but I liked his eagerness there. Um, so, yeah, good first game from him this season. Um, I was very curious to see how he was going to do. I was going to curious to see how many spinoramas he was going to try. We only got one. But, um, yeah, you know, it, he wasn't a, a problem. That's for sure. He was good. You know, it was 
it was a reason to watch the team. You know, it's like him and Carlson are the main drawers right now. Uh, and, you know, you obviously got Hurdle and Barabanov, but like it's Carlson and Eklund. Right, exactly. And, you know, again, one of the most creative forwards, I think, that the Sharks have in the prospect system for sure. And, you know, bringing that layer to the to the power play, I think, again, just makes it so that it, it's something interesting and fun to watch. Um, but the Sharks would would continue, I think, the good play and, and really, um, you know, continue to press. And Alexander Barabanov would end up getting his 13th of the year uh, at 1530. Couture and Johnson getting the assists there. So, you know, Alexander Barabanov putting together a quiet really really strong season and maybe not so quiet anymore because it's career years but I felt like he was kind of going under the radar in the first half and now I think he's really getting the um the attention that he should be getting because I think he's done great work and um again a guy that was kind of a, a an afterthought piece that has really become part of the core moving forward and and I think um for me you know this is a, a piece that um couldn't flourish on a on a stacked Toronto team so it's good to see Barbie you know again playing well um, and again I thought all of the forwards were doing a great job on the first um, but I think that that's the extent of our accolades because I mean I think the harbinger for me was that double minor at the end and the power play looked flat I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just seemed like they got kind of complacent again after the two goals. I mean, what did you see from that double minor at the end there? I think it was on Zetterland who who got the uh, the stick in the face um, with the with the I think his nose getting getting clipped there. Yeah, that's a good way to kill the momentum you've developed, um, especially going into the next period. But I think they still had some decent movement, um, especially again with Eklund out there, um, him and Carlson kind of moving around either the top of the circles or around the blue line, but just nothing um, dangerous enough, you know? And then you have a four-minute power play, which I personally always seem to hate four-minute power plays. I feel like if you do not score one, it just deflates the team, and that's kind of exactly what you saw. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of the start of the decline on the night. Yeah, and like you had said, I think not only is it a four-minute power play, but it's a broken-up four-minute power play, which I think is just the kiss of death for for a power play there. So I really wanted to see them come out and put the the you know the the pedal to the metal and and really get another goal and to really kind of solidify the lead. But instead, we got a a very similar script as we did against St. Louis, and again, very similar to Montreal, where they start out strong and you know collapsed inward. And going into that second period, I mean, eight minutes and forty six seconds in, Craig Smith, 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 Smith. Um, but again, it's the start of the will. Oh, uh, there we go. Uh, Mark, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, great. Um, I guess my, my computer is deciding to just throw up all over me, but, um, <laughs> um, uh, what did you, what did you see from that goal that really got the momentum going for, um, Washington there? Um, I would say, I think it was a little bit of the start of just what was not a great night from Kakinen. Um, I thought for much of the night, 
obviously the Sharks' defense wasn't helpful. Um, and that, you know, that goes without saying. I feel like we've seen that much of the season. But this is the NHL, and you still expect your goalie to play to a certain level, right? Um, so I think it, just if watching him and his technique tonight and his, like, technical skills, the side-to-side -side looked pretty awful. The positioning looked awful. And I feel like there was several goals where you don't want to say it was absolutely the goalie's fault because maybe it was, like, a two-on-one or a clear, like, dangerous shot. But I just feel like Kakinen was just not on his game at all. And it, it started here in the second period. Like, he looked decent in the first. He made the saves he needed to make. But in the second period, I feel like he was lo he was lost. Yeah, and, and I thought that he kind of re resorted or, or regressed. Thank catching my own words there but regressed um back to some really bad habits of you know getting getting deep in the net um mm -hmm. not really squaring up in the middle but kind of kind of catty cornering onto one side and, and hugging the yep. post um but again it was the start of the onslaught because um albu kube whew, uh and would get a, a score 11 minutes and 30 seconds uh, in that second period, so non maybe two and a half minutes later, and and now Washington has tied it up, and you could see the the boys gripping the sticks, and it was just like I said, Groundhog Day all over again, and and really, I mean, like you had said, it kind of started with with some poor play from Kakinen, and then kind of devolved from there because we started to see. Washington gained momentum through the through the neutral zone. The the dumping and chipping and strong four check just evaporated in the second. And and Washington had their way with them. Yeah, I think also with Hacken is there were several goals that went through the five hole. He just he just looked shaky um the whole evening. But yeah, I it's amazing how the exact same script can play out two games in a row like this. You know, it, if you are someone who wants to bet the team that's losing at the end of the first place, uh, end of the first period, especially when that team that's winning is as bad as the Sharks are, you probably made a good amount of money over the last two days because it, it's just carbon copy games. Car, it, it, I don't understand how that happens. And you saw it with the coach. I mean, I'll let you get to that, but it, the frustration on this team must be through the roof at this point. Yes, and Ricky, thank you so much. Abe Kubel. Woo, thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I wonder I wonder where he's from in this world. That's a that's a hell of a last name. Um, but you know, just when you thought it was bad, it gets worse because then Matt Irwin launches a bomb from from the point and this one just wasn't touched. It just went in completely clean and Kakanen is sitting there looking like huh where'd it go like this one to me was when you saw the dam really break open and, and again I think after this one you could just see the team collectively sag because this one this this one I think was the worst of the night I, I don't know what what do you think thoughts on that yeah no I agree and even if he couldn't see the puck because I know there was some um, commotion, obviously, in front of the net. But again, you just you just want a goalie's either his positioning to be in the right place. It, you just didn't see that at all from Kakinen tonight. There wasn't, except for that glove save in the third period, that was pretty nice. Um, he his fundamentals just weren't there. And again, for any one of the goals, you probably could have found an excuse. But when you put them all together, it's just a, 
a collaboration of crap. Very good. Collaboration of crap. I like that. <laughs> um, well, you know, we, we talked about the, the avalanche that was soon, soon to come and Craig Smith completing the Groundhog Day, you know, Sharks whoopsie whoops, um, coming in and getting, getting his sixth of the season at 1902 to make it four to two. And like I think we we have kind of both just said that the wheels just came off after this because going into that third it was much uh, more of the same. This time at five fifty, TJ Oshie, which was another really bad goal because you had Capo and launching the puck directly at TJ Oshie. And I mean, yes, TJ Oshie didn't do a nice uh, you know spinorama to get that goal in, but five hole again, um, position was not great and. You know, just when you thought Kapo Kakinen had started to turn the corner with his with his mechanics and really look like he was, um, you know, fundamentals were really starting to get in gear. I, I just feel like this one just puts him back to square one again. Yeah, I think that's my main concern with him. Um, we saw really good hockey at the end of last season from him, right? He came to San Jose, looked good. And we've seen pockets this year, but I feel like that's kind of what we've gotten from all of our goalies over, I mean, since pretty much the Nabokov era, right? You you had, Jones actually at least had a good full season or two there, um, and Reimer obviously was fantastic last year, but we just haven't had sustained, I don't want to use the word excellence, because there's not too many goalies that can do that, but sustained positive play from goalies for long periods of time like Aiden Hill last year had games where he looked really good you know and it's the same thing with Cockin. I just don't feel necessarily like he is a goalie you can build around because I just never see a consistent enough play from him where I'm like this guy is a number one right right and and that's concerning especially because of the piece that you gave up to get him I mean Jacob Middleton I think you were selling definitely selling high to get Capo Kakinen but I thought you know Capo Kakinen was going to be uh part of the answer going forward in in goal and especially something to help stabilize the goaltending core but it just looks like the, every single goaltender that we've tried out and and maybe that speaks more to the system than anything else, mm-hmm. but it just seems like it's been the goalie carousel, and nobody has been able to really play, you know, in front of this back end. So I think it's it's both structurally it has to do with the with the defensive um, positioning and the defensive play that the that the Sharks are are you know rolling out on a nightly basis, but I also think that there hasn't been um, you know a goaltender that's really you know ran with it outside of those those couple of examples that you had given um so again is it the chicken or the egg who knows it could be both um but i just it just leaves you it leaves more questions than than answers and and i think that that's I think that for me, the biggest issue Uh, quickly. uh, Thank you. SG sports channel uh, sports talk channel Uh, super chat uh, from him. Thoughts on David Quinn's ejection. Well, I think we had seen some first. I think he, he berated the official a little bit. I mean, it, it, it was, it was pretty bad and he, and he definitely chewed him out. And I think the official definitely deserved some of it. But you also have to remember that there was one of the officials that got hurt. So trying to ref a game old school style with just one official and two linesmen is is difficult. So I don't want to completely dump on the officials here. Um, But again, the Sharks have not 
made their own luck and have not moved their feet enough to garner penalties and to get you know, power plays. So I think that that's part of the problem. So, you know, you don't get calls when you're, you're when your effort is subpar. And again, this season, I think, goes to show you that the team's effort, especially on the forward side, has ebbed and flowed. And as a result, you know, p- power plays being called for the Sharks have been inconsistent. I don't know about you, Mark, but I mean, what's what's your thoughts on the officiating tonight? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the officiating was really... Um... A factor one way or another I think Quinn's like explosion there was merely just the frustration boiling over I mean I can't imagine what it's like to coach a team where you see some of these things happening I mean he's he's said it in several press conferences post game where he's like he just hasn't seen something like this before where the Sharks either play a really good game and find a way to lose and it's a close game or you even have performances like tonight and last um, and the last game where it's just a team just falls apart despite looking good for a start. Like you, you hope when you jump out to a two goal lead that you carry that momentum through a game. But this team just isn't equipped to do that. Um, and I just can't imagine what that's like as a coach because there's only so much you can do. You know, I'm not I really have had a hard time judging Quinn because this team is just so bad. And I don't really want to put that on him because I feel like he's dealing with like what should really be half of an AHL lineup. Um so I think you just saw that kind of boiling over today in that moment. Bobby wasn't his finest moment, but honestly, I like the emotion from him. I support it. Yeah, and uh, it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for for listening in and tuning in. Uh, if you're a Washington Capitals fan, we we appreciate you also tuning in as well. Um, we're at 50 viewers right now, so just want to plug the subscribe button. Uh, we go live after every game. Um, will help be your shark's therapy for the evening <laughs> uh, because Lord knows we need it. Um, but uh, getting back to that game, Nico Sturm would get a, a garbage time goal, uh, his 13th on the season. One guy that I think has been a really great addition um, and, and a real good um, glue guy that, that I give props to Greer for has been Nico Sturm. I've liked his game. I like what he brings. Um, good to see him getting his 13th on the season and Gregor and Carlson getting the assist there. Um, again, I, I've liked what I've seen from Nico, um, and, and I think he's part of the solution going forward for sure. So um, from that perspective, I, I think you know it's, it's good to see him get on the board, even if it is a garbage time goal. And then we got the Alexander Ovechkin show. So um, Alexander would get his 34th of the season, Wilson and Carlson getting the assists at 9-11 in the third. He'd follow that up with his 35th, with Iorio and Sandine getting assists there at 16.05. And then just to add some salt in the wound, Dylan Strom would get his 14th with Milano getting the assist at 17.30, which would end the night's action 8-3 to Washington and, again, an implosion, um, some really lackadaisical play, and... That's what happens, and this this Washington Capitals team looked hungry. They looked like a team, you know, trying to hunt down a playoff spot, and out, out you know, manhandled them, used their physicality to really lean on the Sharks. And I think when I'm coming away from this, is Sharks need to beef up, um, and and Sharks need to get um, some more ath- They need to get more athleticism, and they, I think they need to get bigger, and if they want to really. Um, you know, try to compete and, and get, um, you know, get back into the swing of things because 
boy, I mean, a Tom Wilson and uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov and a Alexander Ovechkin, I mean, will do wonders. But I don't know if that if that really um, jumped out on the screen to you, but the, the, the hits would end up being 28-23 in favor of the Capitals. And like I said, Capitals just looked like the manlier team. Yeah, 100% agree. They're more physical. They're bigger. And I also just like the way um, they – play you know it, you watched one thing i noticed this entire game and it happened to be a few times with Eklund because he just happens to be a little bit on the smaller side but like any time a sharks player went near their goalie as the whistle was blowing you just saw like two or three guys grab sharks players just pull them out of the way manhandle them and it's just like you could see in those moments just like the strength or physicality differences there because that just doesn't really happen around kakinen very often um or whoever's in net for the sharks like I know Greer is working towards trying to beef this team up and change the identity to more of a physical, hardworking team. Um, but I just don't think we're anywhere near that point, you know? And then not only that, a team like the Caps, for example, they're combining skill with that physicality. Whereas the Sharks, you look at some of their more, I guess, bigger guys, it's not always the most talented guys, you know? Right, right. And uh, we, we'd end the night. I mean, the Sharks would end up having 41 shots on goal, which is uh, a, a decent shot total. But, you know, I think doesn't really um, doesn't really tell the whole tale because the, the shots on goal for for the Capitals would be 30. Um, and <laughs> oh, I, I'm looking at this stat line for Kakanen and, and I'm just I'm doing a, a slap my head here because it's. Oh boy, he saved 22 of 30 for a 7.33 save percentage. And I don't know why he wasn't pulled. I mean, maybe because James Reimer had had the game the last um the last time, but I mean, I I think you got to send a message that he's got to be accountable, you know, and I think we talked about at least four or five goals that um were of the really crappy variety to let in um again every time he seems like he takes a step forward it he takes a really big step backwards and the sharks have him for team control for one more year um but i don't i I don't i don't know what we have with him i'll just i'll just leave it at that yeah i I think i'm on the exact same page with you and the thing is this was a step back in that it was his first kind of real bad game I'd say since January if you look at the numbers um first game sub 900 save percentage and it that it's I don't know it's just a combination of goaltending and defense and again I I feel somewhat bad crapping on him as much as we have looking at the names in our defense and seeing how they play like even our better defensemen or players who are supposed to be a better defenseman like Ferraro he hasn't been playing well um and obviously we know Vlasic is not playing to his contract he rarely ever does um but yeah you just you just want to see better and uh, as a franchise you don't really know what the next step is because you got Reimer obviously becoming a free agent and he's expressed he wants to stay with the club possibly um but he obviously also just expressed he was kind of disappointed that he's not competing for a cup so you have him, and then you look at the prospects we have. None of them are blue-chip prospects. Um, several of them are actually having somewhat mediocre years where they're playing. So, I don't know. Is there a, a brighter light on the horizon? I don't know. 
Yeah, and uh, one thing pulling out of out of the chat, Dave. Thanks, uh, you know, thanks as always for for uh, hopping on and commenting. Um, we're I think the 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 sad thing is we're not using the caps as as the as putting them up as a good team. I think if you want to if you want Exhibit A, that's Boston, but it mm-hmm. goes to show you, <laughs> it's like we just play it's it's like Glo- Harlem Globetrotters versus the Generals right i mean and and the fact that it's that um that much of a contrast between what Washington has and San Jose has and you look at Washington and in the grand scheme of things they're a mediocre team that just shows you how far and how little talent that this team has um so again i don't think we're putting them up there it's more the fact that the sharks just really suck that bad um Going quickly, I, I did want to uh, a little bit expo- uh, expose upon uh, Alexander Ovechkin because this is a guy that's honing in on Wayne Gretzky, my favorite non-shark um, since I started watching hockey. Um, I've always been Team Ovi in the Team Ovi versus uh, Crosby debate, um, and a guy that you know grew up as a Sharks fan. You know, I wish he would have would have donned the teal, and I wish the Sharks could have you know, gotten a player like that, but it's just amazing to see what he's doing. And, um, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna pass Gretzky and, and I think he should, because I think he's the greatest goal scorer in, in, in league history. I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on Ovi, Mark? Fully agree. And I've been, uh, team Ovi since pretty much day one. I mean, I've also kind of been a Crosby hater as much respect <laughs> as I do have for his game. Exactly. Um, but I mean, his early years, I hated him and I never changed since. So, um, he's one of those people that I love to hate because I absolutely respect how good of a hockey player he is. But Ovi, on the other hand, has just always been kind of a fan favorite for me. So um, I was actually happy to kind of see him. If if they're going to score eight goals, I hope he scores as many of them as he can. So exactly. um, I think it's a great record also just for hockey to have it broken. Um, you know, records are they always say records are made to be broken. And there's certain ones that you think might never be touched. And I think Gretzky's goal record for a while was kind of thought to be that way. Um, but you just look at the longevity of Ovechkin and it's not surprising because the guy is built like a tank and he obviously has one of the best shots in history and he's just consistent. So, um, it's probably going to take another couple of years, but I'm definitely pulling for him to break that record. I mean, he's looking like he's going to be over 40 goals again though. I mean, like after tonight's game, I think he's on trajectory for over 40 goals. So, I mean, and and to do it at his age, I I just give him mad props. And uh, again, we we wish the grade eight, at least from this this corner of the interwebs, great luck on uh, chasing down Wayne. Um, Again, we, you know, Wayne is the great one for sure. But I think Ovi definitely deserves to be in the pantheon of, of great players uh, in the NHL. So I just wanted to really uh, give Ovi a little bit of a quick, uh, you know, a quick plug here. And um, going from that, I mean, I, I want to talk trade deadline because this is the, the first you know show that I've done after the trades and after everything, the dust has settled. And um, I think we both have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, and especially from the prospect angle. Um, but first, I mean, Broad strokes. What were your thoughts on Timo and um, what the Sharks got? And should Greer have maybe played a little bit harder ball and maybe uh, maybe executed a trade a little earlier, given how much uh, work Doug Armstrong did pre-trade deadline? Um, yeah, so I think it's I've warmed up to the return. Um, I think some of that is just natural to looking into certain players, you start convincing yourself. 
um, that the return is better than it was. Um, I, I I've warmed up to it. I still don't really understand some of the decisions um, the team is making, which kind of feeds into that whole Timo Meyer trade. Um, I really do wonder if there was any chance of signing him at any point, um, whether there was like interest from him, because he obviously has, it seems like he really wanted to play for a winner. Um, so, you know, you can't blame someone maybe for not wanting to go through a four or five or whatever amount of year rebuild this is going to take. Um, so I, I'm positive on some of the pieces we got. I haven't been terribly impressed with the ones who at least have been in the NHL, Zetterlin and Johnson. Um, I, I think Zetterlin's fine, but I, I feel like the Devils fans might have been overhyping him just a tad so far. But I'm really going to save my judgment on him until next year once he's had like a whole camp with the team and, you know, he can get acclimated. So I'm kind of just watching him now just to see if I can notice some traits some skills that pop out. But um, I haven't noticed anything from him so far that really tells me he's like a top six forward, uh, which is what I heard from some Devils fans. They were like, oh, you're going to love him. He's definitely a potential top six. So. Um, yeah, the real pieces for me are the potential, the definite first round pick, the potential first round pick, and then, um, Makama Doolin. I'm Mak- hoping that's how you say his name. Yeah. But, Makama um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm sour on the Meyer trade, but I've moved on from Meyer now. So I've kind of accepted it and warmed up to it. Yeah. And then what about, what about some of the edge peripheries with, with, um, with Benino? Um, and I think did Nieto move? I don't think Nieto moved, right? Yeah, he um he was part of that oh, trade. Um, yeah, remember when we Colorado, got went back to yeah, Colorado? Cow, yeah, um, so the way I look at it is I don't really feel like anything was terrible, but I just never feel like Greer gets value. Um, I feel like he's always at least a round or two behind, <laughs> whether it's a draft pick, the prospect he's picking up, um, and yes, he's a rookie rookie GM, but I don't really know if that's an excuse like do you really become that much a better of a negotiator um with experience or do you become a better talent evaluator i mean the guy's been in hockey his whole life so uh, it's just a matter of i'm just underwhelmed it's you look even at the bonino trade yeah we were going to lose him probably at the end of the season um he's an unrestricted free agent so you're getting something for nothing but it was a seventh round pick I mean, we basically traded down in the fifth round as well because the two, 2024 fifth rounders, I think we traded ours in exchange for a conditional fifth, which I don't know what the exact condition was, but I think they get to choose between two picks. Um, but the way I see it is like you got a seventh rounder for a guy who – from a team who's in a playoff race, whereas there's a lot of other teams out there who get like fourths and fifths. And, you know, it's just – I feel like we're always a, a round or two behind what we should be getting. So – um it's in my mind somewhat poor asset management, um, but there was nothing that I'm like, oh my god, that was awful. So I guess I can't really complain too much, but I just want to see something from Greer where I'm like, that was an amazing trade. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me at least, I was kind of I, I was upset. I mean, I think I was was squarely in the jerk um the the hockey jerk mindset of Timo Meyer is a player that you're going to be chasing for for a long time because it, because you got rid of him now i understand from the contractual standpoint that it was going to be very difficult to keep him under and you know continue the team as it is but i mean a, a guy who's who's in his 20s um consistently you know, a point per game type player, 
they just they just don't grow on trees and and so you know i i sat with it after the evening um and and then i ended up um ended up going over to urgent care to get some some uh, <laughs> to get some antibiotics unrelated to how the sharks are playing but um <laughs> I was popping on uh, the Jeff Merrick podcast. Jeff Merrick, a great, great um, uh, commentator up in, in Canada, and, and I think really one of the respected voices from from my corner because not only does he um, does he does a lot of homework, but he also does the historical point of view from hockey as well. He's part of the hockey um, hockey society, uh, historical society, um, so he's got a lot a lot of knowledge. So a guy that I really. Um, enjoy listening to and he had the um the gm i think uh from new jersey on on the show and it just seemed that greer was very collaborative in in his trade approach i think um had a lot of lines of communication and for me it wasn't he didn't dig in because I, at the beginning of the interview, you know, the, the GM outlined that were there were, you know, basically three untouchables. And, and you know, I think it's Mercer and uh, Quinn and uh, or sorry, not Quinn, yeah, Hughes. Yeah. And um, oh, what was the other one? Um, Nemich. Nemich. Thank you. And I think he, you know, he pretty much outlined that they had drawn a line in the sand that they were not trading those three players. And instead of doing what I would have probably done in that situation would, would have been to just hang up the phone. I, yeah. I would have said, if if you're going to take three top prospects off of the uh, of the table, I would have immediately hung up the phone and and started saying, okay, you know if, if that's the way that you're you're going to be and you're not going to give me top um, you know prospect currency for a for the type of player that Timo is, then you're not going to get the player. And and I didn't understand why there was just this it almost seemed like again a collaborative approach. They just continued to con, you know talk and and continue to whittle down like what players New Jersey would you know would end up giving and and yes, I know that you want to um present a a good um rapport with your other GMs. But you also have to put a stake in the ground and understand what you have um, in a player. And again, you had Timo under team control. So, you know, this was an asset. Yes, it was a, a, an expiring asset. And yes, the qualifying offer is a, is, is a big ticket. But it's still team control. And for me... I, I would have said, look, the, the asking price is Mercer, a, a first, and a conditional first. That's what gets you in the door in, into, into talking about this, and we move from there. Why he decided to land upon, you know, what is it, the, the 13th best prospect in New Jersey's system in, in Mukulin, and, and and not digging in was, again, I think kind of a, a mirror image to what we saw with the Brent Burns return where it was just underwhelming and it, it just didn't it just seemed half baked I mean and so I got this reverse Joe Thornton trade vibe honestly that was the first thing that hit me it's like oh so you traded a you know a point per game guy for a bunch of no-namers and 
we we now you know the dust has settled a little bit and we've gotten some prospect grades and they end up being like a b minus prospect and a c plus prospect and two firsts not high firsts for timo meyer who is a unique talent and again i would have played hardball i mean that that's just kind of how i would have would have gone about it um and you don't don't be afraid to not get anything don't be afraid to keep the player and i i just i came away with a very bad taste in my mouth after that one and and um you know i i saw the the few trades that they made on the periphery to get to recoup some draft picks and stuff but like you had said i think just under it seemed like the the team assets were undervalued and um I don't know if maybe he's letting the market dictate um, a little bit to him what the value of his players are. But again, I think a good general manager is able to extract value. I think that that was one thing that Doug Wilson did a great job of doing was extracting value, you know, for his assets and, you know, drawing a line in the sand to say, hey, this is what they're worth. Um, and I think Greer really does need to polish that part of, of his, uh, you know, uh, of the GM trade if he wants to be successful. Yeah. And I think anyone who has listened to me over the last few years knows I was a huge fan of Wilson and it's pretty much for that exact reason you said, sure. He's had some, um, questionable contracts, which I'm not going to get into much of a discussion about them, but I feel like most of them with the exception of one or two were fairly warranted at the time that they were signed but the guy just knew how to value trades and i just haven't seen that from greer um i mean specifically on that meyer trade i think what you were saying i've echoed similar sentiments it's just i don't understand how you let a gm dictate when you're giving up a superstar that my non-nhl players are off the table and not only just one of them but like two great ones who are good prospects, don't get me wrong, but also a guy like Mercer, who's obviously come on very strong this year. But we're talking about Timo Meyer. He's young, and he's scored, he's a 40-goal scorer, basically, um, and a unique one at that. Like, he's not, you know, Skinner, for example, who, you know, he's a he's a physical dude. He's huge. He's speed. a guy like you he's... want on your playoff roster. Yeah, he's an absolute winner. Um, and... I don't know. I just don't see how you allow that. But there must be things that go on in the GM world that I just can't comprehend. Because to me, I'm 100% with you. If a, if a guy comes to me and there was no secret the Devils wanted Meyer. I mean, this has been rumored for two years that the Devils were interested in Timo Meyer. People were coming out with trade proposals last year with Holtz and this and that because it was so obvious the Devils wanted him. So how do you come away? Now, again, I'm a big fan of um, He's I feel like... Um, he has a decent upside. Like if everything goes right, he could be a top pairing, but I think at its, he's going to be for sure a top four defenseman. That being said, like, I don't see how you can't come away with what's considered a blue chip prospect. We didn't get one. And that's what we need. We need a blue chip prospect. Cause at this point, the only one we have close to that is really Eklund. Yeah. So it's disappointing. And, um, look, Greer also went for quantity over quality. Um, which I guess when you look at our prospect pool, there, there are, I guess, arguments in favor of that, but I just, I don't know. You, you, you said it like one is a late first round pick. The average or the percentage of those guys making it and being an impact in the NHL is still only like 30%. 
And the other one, we need the Devils to make the conference final one of the next two years for it to become a first-round pick. Otherwise, it's a second-round pick and probably a mid-to-late second-round pick at that. So, yeah, to give up Timo, it hurts. Um, we've had maybe, what, two guys like him in the entire length of our franchise where they were, like, that physical and that talented. I mean, I put up him and Nolan in that conversation. Yep. You know? So I, 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 because he had more he has more talent than Chloe did. I think Chloe oh, yeah. def, definitely, you know, was a little bit more rough and tumble. That's for sure. But I think as far as talent, um, speed, physicality, I think you're you're right up there with the with the Buster reference, because I think, mm -hmm. you know, he, he really was the closest thing that we had since Buster that had all of those qualities that you like to see. And uh, I guess qualities that um you know, Mike Greer espoused when he came on board and said, this is the way that we want to play. So it's like, I, I, again, I, I, I just wish there, there would have been some more hardball playing. And I think if we're talking about Doug Wilson retrospective, I think all I'll say is this, he had a soft spot for his own players. And I think that that's what yep. got him in trouble. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I think uh, again, he, he got oversold on Eric Carlson um, you know, and and really, he didn't play any hardball there where he where he really should have, especially with Carlson coming off the injury history. Um, yes, he's a super uber talented player, and now is playing up to the contract. But at the time, you know, was very uh, inconsistent with the level of play, inconsistent, um, you know, with the health. So those two question marks, I think, would have really devalued him in the in the open market, and I think. That was something that that Doug didn't really um, realize and, and really didn't take into account. But you know, I, I you know we're coming up on the forty minute mark here, um, and you know just want to start to to round it out. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, with the Sharks, you know, playing as they are now, you know, setting themselves up for for something good. Where where do you want to see the team um, ended up? I mean, do you want to see them? 32nd overall do you want to see them come in 31 I mean I, I think I would be happy if they came in at because uh, it, it it seems I, I know that the percentages favor you especially if you're in 32 to get number one overall but it just seems like the the hockey gods play trick with that number one all the time so I think I'd rather be in the 31 spot um, if it were up to me um, because it gives you the second best odds and you know, you, you won't move down, I think, more than, you know, say three or four overall. So what 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 are your thoughts on um, on where the Sharks should end up? And, um, you know, what player are, are you circling if, if they don't get number one overall? And if they do, I, th I think it's pretty obvious who you pick. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'm obviously I would love to finish 32 just because I do want that highest percentage. But I agree with you. There has been. Um, some wackiness with the lottery. Um, I think the main goal I'm focusing on right now is hopefully the Sharks finishing in 31 or 32. Because the thing is, if they finish in 31, there's no chance of them dropping lower than the fourth overall pick. And this year, it's the top four picks that are the must-have players. So, and the Sharks being one of the franchises that probably need it the most, if you think about it. Um, so... Yeah, it would be great to finish 32 and have, I think, what is the 15 or 18% chance of finishing with the top pick. Um, but 
if they finish 31, I'll still be in pretty good spirits. If they finish 30 or 29th, I'm going to be um, very uneasy until after that lottery because getting pushed out of the top four after a season like this would be pretty painful. Um, in that top four, you're looking at um, Bedard, Fantilli, uh, Mitchkov, and Carlson. I'd be super happy to get any of those. Um, Mitchkov, I think, is probably the second best of them, but I think his uh, contract situation in Russia might be push him down a spot or two um so fantilly he's a beast i think any other year people would be looking at him as number one overall um he's a really good college player he's having one of the better college seasons um of someone his age of all time um and then bedard it's like you watch this kid he's absolutely unreal i don't want to say he's like the next mcdavid but he's going to be something very special and I think he immediately changes the time frame of our rebuild if we get him. So, and it also kind of, I think, becomes a place where maybe a free agent wants to come and play here more because you see a guy like that and you're just like, okay, yeah, I want to play with that kid. I want to be on this team that might be trending up. Um, whereas the other three, as talented as they are, they may not have quite that draw. So it should be interesting. I have been checking the standings multiple times per day. Like I'm pretty much always aware of who's playing at one o'clock on a weekend day, who's playing in the evening, who's playing who. And, you know, with the loss today, we're now two points clear behind the ducks. So we are in that third spot and, um, three points clear of Arizona, who is now in the fifth spot and only one point ahead of Chicago with them having two games on hand. So at least that's the positives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think you lay it out great. I think, um, you know, of course, if you get the number one overall, Bedard is the guy. And, and just think about it this way. I mean, you could roll out a line next year of Bedard, Eki, and Bordy. And, you know, just you've made a second line, you know, who's, who's going to be uber talented for the next, you know, 10 years. So, um, you know, again... Uh, Either that, I mean, I I think Fantilli, uh, when a guy puts up the kind of numbers that Fantilli does in college, with the amount of time, the amount of reps that they put in in the weight room, and they just come out bigger, and I think they just come out a little bit smarter coming out of college, um, that would be another special type player that would change the trajectory as well. Might not be as like instant as a Bedard, but a guy that you definitely can build around and a guy that can definitely help move um, move the needle and brings in a wealth of, of leadership at a young age, which again, I'm, I'm all for. And, and this team, as fragile as it is right now, could, could definitely use another strong you know, strong-willed, strong-voiced, uh, you know, voice in that room, especially if it comes from a younger guy. You know, he can can help lead from the bottom and help, um, again, get get a guy like Eki and Bordy, um, get him in the right headspace going into into their, their pro years. Um, so with that, uh, in case you missed it and you want to check us out again, check us out on the YouTube Rewind you know, like subscribe and uh, hit the bell notification to know when we go live. Of course, if you're a long timer, you know that we go live after every sharks game. It's what we do. Yes. It's, it's punishment, but uh, you know, hopefully there are some good things on the, <laughs> on the horizon for sure. But if you can't catch us on the, uh, on the video on demand, check us out on your favorite podcatcher of choice. We're on the Apple podcast store, the Google play store, uh, of course, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, tune in iHeartRadio, and audacity. Thank you so much for AJ for getting 
that all set up so that once we get it live and get it up on our SoundCloud, it just distributes to all the podcasts and you guys can have the guys and gals can have it uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, and of course, Check out that and more at Teal Town USA. I mean, we've got some great articles up there. And, of course, we always post the replays up on the site as well. And for Mark and and the whole crew, I mean, we really appreciate everybody joining us this afternoon. Kind of a weird game. But, uh, Mark, what are your final thoughts on where the people can find you? Um, People can find me at Mark E. Mark SJS on Twitter. And for final thoughts, I'm just very interested to see um, if any of the other young guys are called up for the rest of the season. Um, <clears throat> maybe Boards gets called up. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they are using the final, I don't know, 15 or so games now to maybe see what they have in some of these prospects. So I'll be keeping an eye out for that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, appreciate that. And of course, I think we'll we'll have the uh, the summer recap. We'll have the draft day uh, lead up, which, of course, I know that you're always a fan of and always, you know, fun to, to bring you on and stuff. So best day of the year <laughs> with with the way that the Sharks are rolling. I think you're right on that one. <laughs> and as far as uh, my final thoughts go, you know, look, I've been preaching it all year. I just want to see some good fundamentals. I want to see the kids, um, you know, come into a structure and, and, and come into to a, a style of play that, um, you know, doesn't uh, speak desperation. And um, <laughs> I think I think the Sharks have a long way to go on that. Um, but as far as where you can find me, you can use my first name. That's E-R-I-K-L-A-N-D-I across all of the social media garbage. Wherever it is, we're there. <laughs> um, and uh, again, check us out on all the social media at Teal Town USA as well. Um, we've got some great stuff on the Instagram, great stuff, uh, you know, from the Twitter as always, you know, following Barracuda, you know, Teal Tinted Glasses. And of course, tomorrow we got Pucknologist. We'll have uh, we'll have AJ and uh, Puck, uh, Hockey Jerk, excuse me, uh, go over the goings on. Uh, for the Sharks, the trade deadline recap, and I'm sure that they have uh, they have some thoughts. <laughs> Check that out at 7 tomorrow. So that's 7 PST. All right. Well, from all of us, you know what we like to say. Keep it real. Keep it teal. Keep it real teal, and we'll catch you after the next game. Thank you, everybody, and uh, have a great evening.